allowed to turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Kings chapter 23. We're going to be starting a, a series of messages about the last three kings of Judah that ruled that area after Josiah died. And if you are a uh, biblical scholar, you're going to say, wait a minute, there was four. Well, I don't count really Zedekiah because he wasn't really a king as much as he was a governor. So we're not going to include Zedekiah, but we are going to include the three that existed between Josiah and Zedekiah. Now, I want to give you just a quick background of the history of what is going on at this period in the Old Testament. After King David died, his son Solomon rose to power. Solomon grew the nation of Israel far beyond the borders of the promised land that God had given the nation of Israel. It grew to encompass most of modern Lebanon, some of Syria, some of modern Egypt, all the way to the Nile River, and eastward to include what would have been modern-day Jordan, almost touching into Iraq. It was by far the largest known empire in the Western world at that time. After Solomon died, there was a family squabble, a civil war, if you will, within that family, with one, son, one of his sons taking over the northern area of the, of the empire and one taking the southern area. The northern area becomes known as Israel and puts its capital in Samaria. The southern area takes up the name of Judah and has its capital in Jerusalem. And because of this split, the two nations had very, a lot of difficulty ruling over their respective areas and defending them. And eventually the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by Assyria and about 120 years later, the southern kingdom of Judah was conquered by Babylon. Now, all of Israel kings, all those northern area kings were evil. Every single one of them was, was not a good man. There was a slight minor spark of religious zeal in, a man, in King Jehu, but it was mostly self-serving because he tolerated evil and idolatry up into and including child sacrifice. Judah's kings, however, were a mixed bag. You'd have a decent king or two who at least would try to follow God, followed generally by three or four wicked kings. With one exception, the huge stain on all of their records is that they tolerated the high places. You say, well, what's a high place? A high place back then is where people could go to God's church on the Sabbath and then go and worship all kinds of idols and false gods the rest of the week. So they could go and be pious for God on Sunday, if you will, or Saturday in their case, and then go to the casino and, and strip club kind of worship all the other times. So the last good king, and probably the best king since David, was a man named Josiah. Josiah was a child when he became a king and stumbled across a copy of the Torah, which was their Bible at their time, and he had it read to him. When Josiah heard the word of the Lord, he repented for his nation's actions and led a full nationwide revival and purged the entire land of every pagan influence like no other king had done before him, even up to and including removing all the high places when he was um, king. Then Josiah went up to meet the king of Egypt in battle where he was killed. And that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 23, verse 30. 
Josiah's servants brought his body and a chariot from a ghetto to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoaz, son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in place of his father. Jehoaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Humudo, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Lebna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his fathers had done. Pharaoh Necho put him in chains at Riblah in the Lamb of Hamath, so that he may not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on Judah a levy of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. Pharaoh Necho made Elikim, son of Josiah, king in his place of his father Josiah, and changed Elikim's name to Jehoiakim. And he took Jehoaz and carried him off to Egypt, and there he died. And Father, I just ask, Lord, that we take the life of this brief king of Judah and apply it to our lives today. Father, I just ask for your help as I bring this to your people. If you had laid the, these series of messages on my heart, I ask, Father, that you help us to see the parallels between his time and the time that we are living in right now. When Israel and Judah were going through their last kings, may we see the parallels in the society we live in today. Father God, I give this time to you and ask, Father, that you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I kind of found it a bit ironic as I was preparing for this message when God, when I was praying what to bring as far as the next series of messages, and he gave me this, this thought about the last kings of Judah. I want you to talk about the last kings of Judah. And I had never really considered the last kings of Judah. I had, you know, I had read about them, of course, never really considered any deep meaning behind their reigns or their life. And then I realized the day I would be starting this um, series would be September 11th, which is today, the 21st anniversary of the terrorist attacks on our nation. Attacks that probably ended up costing our nation her soul. That doesn't really, September 11th doesn't have a lot to do with this message, but I'm acknowledging those attacks as a catalyst that started this nation on the path that it's currently on. Going back to the central part of our message, there's many things that we can learn from the last three kings of Judah that directly apply to what has happened in the last 21 years. And I have a feeling that will continue to happen in our country today. Some of these may seem to, some of this message may seem to be a bit prophetic, but I'm only bringing the truth of God's word. I'm only bringing the history of what happened because human history is very cyclical. We kind of start up here with God, we make a full circle away from God. Disaster happens, everybody turns back to God, and we start the wheel all over again. So we can see a lot of truth of what happened back then is the same thing that is what is happening even today in our nation. Now, I want to, do want to make one thing very perfectly clear. I'm not going to be criticizing specific people or politicians. So if you're waiting for me to yell about Joe Biden or Donald Trump, I'm not going to. If you're looking at me to criticize one political party over the other, 
I'm not going to do that either. I currently believe actually our two-party system is two, simply two sides of the same evil coin. Neither one has our, really our best interests in heart. They're more worried about maintaining power. I'm simply going to point out some glaring truths in the people we see in the Bible and apply them to the current situation that we live in today. But before you apply it to them, I want you to remember God's truth isn't to necessarily to point to other people. It's always to point to ourselves first. It says that judgment begins at the house of God, not in the houses of Washington. In America, we have church on Sundays, most of which, if you look at the latest statistics, are very poorly attended. Most of our places, most of our people, even in our churches, go to their high places the rest of the week when they get out of their church. And often it's seen in the form of entertainment that they watch, much of which is not God-honoring or God-pleasing. So really no different than the people who live in ancient Israel or Judah. I say this because before we start looking outward again, we need to look inward. Jesus told us to remove the plank from our own eye before we move the speck from others. So let's look at three things from the life of Jehoaz that we can apply to our lives and our world today. The first thing that we see in his life is beware of rapid promotion, especially rapid promotion over more seasoned or qualified people. In other scriptures, and in some extra-biblical texts, such as the writings of Josephus, we learn that Jehoaz was the youngest of the sons of Josiah. That's usually not how a monarchy works. Monarchy usually goes from the eldest son down to the youngest son. But in this case, for some reason, the people chose the youngest son to take over the kingship from their father. That's very interesting. It could be because maybe they thought the older sons were no good. Maybe they were just bad people. The Bible really doesn't give a specific answer, but I suspect they chose him because he was the furthest away from the, relig the true religion of God as anyone was. I mentioned a moment ago the writings of Josephus. Josephus was the greatest of the he Hebrew historians. Oftentimes, theologians today look back on his writings to understand the times that the Bible was written in. And in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, he says plainly that Jehoaz was a very impious man who resented the reforms of his father. He wanted to go back to the old ways. That's probably why the people selected him. They wanted to go back to the old ways. They wanted to be able to go to church on Sunday and go to hell the rest of the week. They wanted to return to the old ways of following the Baals and the Asherahs and the Molochs and all the detestable idols that they, that they used to be able to, to go to. So they chose that youngest son because he would be most easily swayed to do just that. There's a saying that my grandfather really pounded in my head when I was growing up. And that is, respect the gray hair. I remember I smarted off once, uh, Friday nights would usually be spent at the Moose Lodge, my grand or uh, at the VFW, one of the two, 
and my, where my grandfather was an officer. And I, I remember some, uh, an uh, elderly man had said something kind of rude to me, and I smarted off to him. My grandpa grabbed me, and that's when he said, respect the gray hair. I don't care if he is a jerk, you will respect him. So I learned very early, I was always expected to give honor and deference to people who are older and more experienced than I was. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. Because, you know, wisdom isn't something you can learn. I can't open a book and automatically gain wisdom. Even the Bible, you can open it up, learn its truths, but until you start experiencing those truths, you don't gain wisdom from them as much. And I remember being young and having no experience to temper knowledge and saying really dumb things. I remember sitting, watching, um, I think it was the debate between Ronald Reagan and Walter Mondale. And one of them was saying something that I didn't agree with. And I said something, I think I was 14 years old. I remember it distinctly sitting on the couch with my dad. We were watching this debate, and I said, you know, Dad, they just made me president. I'd solve all the world's problems. And at 14 years old, of course, I know everything, right? I didn't respect the gray hair. And unfortunately, that idea of not respecting maturity and not respecting those who have gone before, that is something that is no longer in our culture. Even in Bible camp, when I was a nurse there this last um, thing, there was a couple kids who were routinely cussing at adults. I see it all the time in the ER, five, six, seven-year-olds cussing at their parents when, they, when the parent says to sit still so the doctor can examine them. And is it any wonder why Satan's attack is specifically targeting young people today. You, have you ever wondered why the young people today have totally lost their minds? Have how they've become the foot soldiers of this disease called the woke? Now, if you're in your late 20s or early teens or early 20s and listening to this on podcast or, or anywhere else, I'm not criticizing your entire generation. But I'm just saying that experience matters. Logical and rational thinking matters. Because, you know, people in power, whether that be the government or the media or influencers on social media or whatever, they purposely play on your emotion. They purposely try to get you riled up. Because once you get riled up, you can't use your God-given reason. God didn't say, come, let us get riled up together, says the Lord. He says, no, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. In the book of Job, it says, "His spirit within a man that gives him reason and understanding. God wants us to use our logic and our reason, not our emotion. And you, because if, when you get people emotional, they're easily manipulated. I mentioned during Sunday school, you saw this in the Kenosha riots. No one seemed to know the facts. They just heard that the police had gunned down an unarmed black man. The man, by the way, who was on probation and had an active warrant actually open for rape. He was charging toward a car filled with kids. 
grabbing a knife to wield to the police officers when they shot him. But that part of it didn't get out there. The only part that got out there was the fact that they gunned down an unarmed man. And that caused millions and millions of dollars of damage to my hometown over a lie. I just use that as an example of how people can get riled up when you get inflame emotion over facts and logic. And the year 2020 really showed us that, didn't it? And unfortunately, it's getting worse. It's on hyperdrive today in our culture, and it's tearing our country apart at the seams. And the more they can get people to, to put aside their logic, to put aside their reason, the worse it's going to get. And it's not something that's new. In his writings, Vladimir Lenin, the man most directly involved with forming the Soviet Union, spoke of young people as being useful idiots. That's how he described them. He said they're useful idiots because they're easy to get uh, fired up. They're easy to get, um, to get to act in irrational ways and easy to stir in passionate action because they lack wisdom to see the end result of the thing they're being stirred up for. And Lenin used that fact to form one of the most evil empires that ever existed, the Soviet Union. In fact, his successor, Joseph Stalin, said, um, who killed between 6 and 11 million of his own people, coined the very cynical phrase that one death is a tragedy while a million is simply a statistic. Bringing that home for our lesson this morning, God has a process for wisdom and a process for maturity. It's called time. Jehoaz had older brothers, brothers that might have even maintained some of Josiah's reforms, if not improved them even more. But the people chose the one who would give them what they wanted, not what they needed. That is why we have to be careful about those we put into leadership. The Bible says, do not be hasty on the laying on of hands. What that's talking about is do not place a mantle of leadership on someone's shoulders who has not proven themselves through having godly character. And it's tough to have that kind of character when you are very young. I'm not saying that a young person can't be in charge. I'm not saying we don't have some outstanding young leaders out there. But for the most part, respect that gray hair. We should also remember it in our own lives when we seek promotion. If you seek promotion for the wrong reasons, say for popularity, you're going to fall into the trap of the enemy. And he's going to use it not to destroy, not only to destroy you, but those you seek to lead. And that leads us to our next point. And that is, beware the favor of the world or chasing popularity. We live in a very unique time in the history of this world. Where a person can become famous for mastering the art of social media for their benefit. Not necessarily because they're great artists, not necessarily because they're really creative, not necessarily because they have a skill that benefits the world, but it's all about how they can promote themselves and make themselves famous on little videos and things like that. 
I don't know how many people in this room realize this, but the power in this country is centered in three different companies right now. It's not even centered. The true power of this, of this nation is centered in Google, Facebook, and Twitter because they are the ones that can sway public opinion the fastest. They're the ones that are, are doing it more than any other news outlet. A distant second to those three companies is probably Fox News on the other side of the equation. And what this has done in our society is create a sickness called self-promotion, this endless pursuit of popularity. Right now, popularity means far more than character in people's minds. Popularity means even more than what is true. If a person who is popular can say anything they want and get people to believe in them, because popularity is the new currency that people use to gain influence. It is not truth. It is not character. It is simply if somebody is popular or even, or even notorious. This is causing a huge issue in our country right now. And let me demonstrate it. How many of you remember the story of the three little pigs? Anybody remember reading that story when you were a kid or reading it to your children? Well, there are three little pigs and a big bad wolf that wants to eat them. Little pigs start building shelters to protect themselves from the wolf. One little pig builds a shelter made of straw. One little pig uses twigs to build his shelter. And the final pig uses brick and stone. Well, then the wolf arrives and says, little pig, little pig, let me in. Little pigs reply, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. I don't know if you're starting to remember this story yet or not. I remember reading it to my kids. Well, the big bad wolf says, if you don't open up, I'm going to huff and I'm going to puff and I'm going to blow your house down. Well, we all remember what happens next. The first two pigs get eaten because they trusted in straw and sticks to protect them. Well, the last little pig survived because he used bricks and stone to build his house. Pursuing popularity is the same as building your house with straw or sticks. The slightest breeze or bad weather will topple that house around you, and you're left defenseless. You ever heard of the, the phrase canceled culture or being canceled? How many people built huge empires based on their popularity in the last several years only to have it canceled when the mob turned against them? They built their foundation of straw. They lost their entire livelihood because the opinions shifted and blew down their house. You know, the little three little pig story has a biblical source to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, second part of verse 10, it says, Each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, and straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light, and it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. So I ask you, in the economy of heaven, in God's eyes, is it more important to be popular, 
or more important to have character, to more, be more important to God to have a sense of honor. You see, honor and character are the costly stones that builds a life that is not easily toppled or destroyed when the bad times come. The big bad wolf we call the devil simply can't just blow your life apart. He has to go through the foundation, which is Jesus Christ first. I remember early in my ministry training, we had elders of the church who would critique my sermons. They all had like little forms they would fill out and, and tell me everything I did wrong. And one of them saw, uh, found me after church, and he simply asked, are you preaching to the crowd, or are you preaching to God? He said, there's a big difference between the two. Are you trying to be popular with the crowd, or are you trying to preach the word of God that will reap eternal benefit in the people? And then he told me this. He said, beware of trying to be popular. He said, the same crowd that was praising Jesus and yelling Hosanna one day was the same crowd that screamed crucify him a few days later. It may sound kind of cynical, but it's also very true. Beware of trying to be popular. Last thing I want to point out this morning is beware turning or compromising the faith that has established you. This last lesson is from the life of Joseph, from the uh, the life of this king is seen is really exemplified in Psalm 11, 1 through three. It says, "In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows; they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart." Now, verse three is what I want to focus on this morning. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? One of the main reasons this country is in the same kind of turmoil that the last three kings of Judah faced is because of the systematic destruction of the foundation we were built on. Our country was built on Christian principles. The Declaration of Independence was written on Christian principles. Our Constitution was written on Christian principles. In fact, the author of the Constitution said that this Constitution is meant to govern a moral and religious people. It is completely unfit to govern any other. John Adams said that. That is why we're watching our country crumble around us, because our foundation is being destroyed. But not only in our nation, let's put this and focus it back on us. I would ask you this morning, are there things in your life that are crumbling right now? If so, I would ask you what foundation on your life is under attack? Maybe it's a foundation that does need to go. Maybe it's something that was, was placed there by life, by the enemy, by someone else that has nothing to do with Christ, and God's trying to get rid of it. Maybe that's the case. But if your whole life is crumbling away right now, I'd ask you, what have you built your life upon? Is the big bad wolf blowing your house down? 
Because if your foundation is on Christ, he will never be able to do that. He can huff and puff all he wants. He will not move one iota of stone in that house. But if you feel like that this morning, if you feel like this nation is starting to crumble, if you feel like your whole life is starting to crumble, maybe it's your, the nation you're looking at, maybe it's something personal, whatever it is, I would ask you, is this resonating with you at all? Because if so, it should drive us to pray. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our leaders. Pray even for people in the opposite political party, that Jesus gets a hold of their hearts. I'm really concerned with how many pastors and how many Christian influencers are, are telling people to get out and vote for one side or the other in the midterm elections that are coming up. I would encourage everybody to exercise their freedom and go vote. But don't put your hope in it. Because no matter what man or woman gets into those positions, they are still men and women. Our focus needs to be on Christ and his glory. I would encourage you even more so. I would encourage you to vote, but I would encourage you even more so to exercise the incredible power God has given you and pray for the future of our country. That is what is going to make the difference. Because regardless of who wins an election, if God is not for us, and we're not following his and his ways, everything is just going to continue to worsen. And we will see the last days of this great nation. So I would encourage you again, actually spend time in prayer for our nation. Let's all rise. Father God, I know that this message seems to be kind of a downer in many people's minds. It's, it's, it's kind, of a, kind of not leaving church with a great feeling. But Father, your word says to sound the alarm when things start happening. And that is what I'm trying to do, to, to get us out of our comfort zone, to get us out of our own lives and look around and see what's happening. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just give each and every person here the gift of being an intercessor. The gift of being able to see things through a prophetic lens, through your eyes. And see how close we are to losing everything that we have. Because the foundations are being destroyed. They are under attack. The big bad wolf is huffing and puffing. And not only just to protect our comforts, not only just to, to maintain our lifestyle, but because if we do nothing, that many more people will go into an eternity without you. So Lord Jesus, I just ask, Father, you place that burden upon each and every person here to pray for their neighbor, to pray for their nation, to pray for their leaders so that we can see you change this country once again. It is possible. But your people have to humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways. Then you will hear from heaven and turn and heal their land. 
Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege you have given us to turn this around as we humble ourselves and pray. Father God, I just bless your people now. I ask, Father, that you use them to proclaim the gospel in word and in deed and simply how they live their lives in front of the rest of the world. Lord God, bless them and bring them back next Sunday. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.